Hi guys, I'm here today with Daniel Thomas, the CEO of Evolution Eat and the partner and co-founder of Reach 20-something, an education platform for millennials and entrepreneurs. Exceptionally good at high-performance coaching, Daniel works with celebrities, entrepreneurs, therapists, doctors, professors, and anyone who dares to be awesome. A teacher and a guide whose mission is to help you learn the process of mastering your diet by building a lifestyle that supports your goals, Daniel's vision is to make an impact on a million lives. Daniel, welcome to the show. Kalen, thank you so much for having me, my friend. Really appreciate being here. It's great to have you. I'm super excited to talk about lifestyle design, our relationship with food, and taking control of our health. But first, please take a minute to fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us how did you get started on your journey? Hmm, yeah. Okay. I'll try to give you the abbreviated story, but so there's there's two parts of the answer. One is how did I choose the path of becoming an entrepreneur? And then two, how did I start coaching and coaching people on their food choices in particular? So those two paths. The, I'll start with the latter. I grew up as an only child and very, very luckily had an incredibly supportive and loving family, mother especially, who saturated me with with her love. And and part of part of that saturation was was food. She wanted to give me so much that food became part of that relationship. So it became a reward structure early on whereby if I do well, if I do well at school, if I'm a good boy, good son, et cetera, et cetera, I'm rewarded. Food is a part of that. So there's that. Then I was an only I was an only child and had to make up a lot of my own entertainment because both my parents worked full-time jobs and food became part of, again, that reward structure. Oh, I'm home alone. Oh, I have to like make something up to do. I might as well just eat food. So food quickly, from an early age, food became a, a means of entertaining myself. That sort of, you know, that just led to, you know, I, I grew up a, what they call husky here in America, well overweight, but always very active but addicted to food. And that led throughout the rest of my teenage years and early adulthood, et cetera, into looking toward external substances, et cetera, for fulfillment or a search for meaning or enjoyment, right? Looking outward rather than looking in. And that actually crosses over nicely to how I then became an entrepreneur. So my becoming an entrepreneur, the long and short of it was that I was highly educated. I went to a prestigious New York high school. I went to a great university in the United States called Georgetown University. I was one step from going to law school there. That was my path. And then something, some greater sense of me knew that I can't go to law school. Like the world does not need another lawyer. And although I'll probably be very successful at doing something like that, it will destroy me or I will destroy myself because it's not what I want. Ultimately, I knew deep down that I would have to find my own means of fulfillment. And I couldn't do that working for somebody else, especially for things that I don't care about. So after I removed myself from the education system, which was really all I knew from like 15, from 14 through 22, I was professional academic. And then once I removed myself from that sort of environment, I was utterly lost because I only knew how to perform well in that set of circumstances. Oh, you're given external demands, you meet them, you exceed, 
you achieve and then you move on to the next thing. But within all of that achieving and success addiction, I never asked the question, why? Why am I working so hard? Why do I why do I even want to go to school? Why am I double majoring in economics and, and English, which I actually love? But why am I taking all these courses that I that I care nothing for and which I have no intention of using at all in my life? Like, why am I doing this? I never asked the question why. The answer was always, oh, because then you'll do really well and you'll figure it out. But then it, when it got to the point that I actually had to make decisions for myself when I came of age, I had no idea. So removing myself from school was just terrifying. It was basically a free fall for a few years thereafter. And I, I worked at a few different high position jobs at different agencies, which were cool jobs, but not at all what I wanted. Then I decided to take a complete left turn, chose to become an actor, which I had no, no experience with whatsoever. I went to acting school for two years. That was a decision that I had to make for myself because I needed to really remove myself from my past. And so for that, reason I was happy about it but like looking back but at the time it was excruciating because all along I knew that I was living a life that that I had never designed for myself had no intention of pursuing and really didn't know why I was there so to wrap up a story that could go on forever what choosing to become an actor did was made me realize that oh I can actually make choices for myself. I don't have to rely on the outside world and I don't have to I don't have to achieve within a structured system. I can create the system. And that's really hard, but that's also can be really motivating, really exciting. So at the end of the acting phase, we'll call it that, it was about a 3-year stint. I decided that wasn't for me and I needed to do something for myself. And what acting allowed me to see for the first time was that I could create my own path. As difficult and excruciating as that was, I could create my own path. I didn't have to achieve within a structured system. I could create the system. And that was that was like the light bulb moment, if ever there were one. And from there I started I started coaching people who like friends, people close to me, friends of friends, family members of friends who needed help with their diet and nutrition because that was the one constant in my life from about 20 on, the age of 20 onwards. I just, I was fascinated by this idea that I can control not only how I look, but how I feel and not just physically, but emotionally based on what I'm eating. And that also is a, was another light bulb moment in my life where I recognized that I had control over my body. And when I grew up being overweight, feeling completely compelled by food like like addicted to it and also just like looking forward to it in a way that doesn't didn't serve me at all I never felt like I had a control over food or anything for that matter and so when I started to focus on food and recognize that this thing this substance has a huge impact on not only the way I look but the way I feel the way I carry myself I just became you know, fascinated by it. And it's become a never ending pursuit. So my friends started asking me to coach them. I kept coaching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then years later, now here we are. <laughs> That's how I became an entrepreneur and how I became started coaching people on their on their food choices, et cetera. And then from there, my career has branched out in a few different ways. But we can talk about that if you'd like. So you were a high achiever as a teenager, and you were doing fantastic in school. However, you were always told what to do, so you didn't have a clear purpose of your own. Mm -hmm. 
And then you had this liberating and empowering experience in your 20s when you realized that you can make your own choices. Still, you had to find a way to deal with your emotions and certain habits like binge eating. And that is how you have found and developed your area of expertise, your zone of genius. <laughs> well, I appreciate you calling it a zone of genius. Yes, that's entirely correct. So I'll backtrack a little bit. During my early to mid-20s, I became fascinated with food and the way that, as I just explained, it makes you look, feel completely the way in which I carried myself. But it was a work in progress, just like everything. It's a work in progress. And I still had much of the same challenges and we'll call it, I call it addiction. Some people might scoff at that because it's, you know, it's like not the same as having a serious drug addiction. And that's true, but it's an addiction nonetheless when you're searching outwardly for something to give you fulfillment and or to entertain yourself and or to do something mindlessly simply with the intention of distracting yourself. That to me is addiction. So I was still very susceptible to those old habits, those old behaviors, looking to food. I became, when I was really unhappy and depressed during my 20s, I would look to, you know, I actually did cultivate a few unhealthy addictions, uppers and things of that nature. Nothing, it never got too out of control, thank God. But, you know, it was just a very, it was a, it was an unhappy time in my life. And I started looking, at, again, outwardly for fulfillment versus inward. And so, yes, I know binge eating quite well. I still, after after eating healthily, for eating the way that I do, I call it an evolutionary diet for nearly 10 years now, I'll still have my moments where I just can't control myself. And because of that, I can, I can help. I can coach my clients because I speak their language and I understand. Please share with us, how did you overcome this addiction? Sure. So this is what I teach my clients and it's not, there's no one answer. Like there's no one simple solution. It's a multi-dimensional solution. So when you think about, so here's what I do. I use the mastery model. I use what I call a mastery model to mastering your diet, which really means learning how to master yourself. And I liken eating healthily, living healthily to a skill that you can train. So eating healthily, learning how to live a healthy lifestyle is a skill that you can train. Now, let's take this example. Let's pretend that you wanted to play the piano, right? You had no idea how to play the piano or maybe you had played around with it when you were a kid, but generally speaking, you, you don't know the basics, you don't know the fundamentals, you don't actually know how to play. So if you wanted to really master this, the piano, how would you do it? You would have to, one, recruit the instruction of a mentor or a teacher, right? Then you would show up, you would sit down with one-on-one, -on -one, you would work together, you would have no idea what you were doing, but you would follow his lead, you would try to model his example, he would give you assignments, you would have to go home and practice, you'd have to come back, you would have to play, you would have to make mistakes, you would have to try to read the music, you would go home, you would practice, you would study, you would come back to class, you would play, you would make mistakes, and over time, as you keep playing, you'll keep messing up, but by pushing on and investing in those mistakes, you will start to overcome those, whatever's bringing you down, and you'll start to actually intuitively cultivate an understanding of the piano and all of a sudden then not only are you like playing songs but you're witnessing yourself 
playing songs. You're witnessing this relationship with the instrument that before was a foreign object. And then not only that, you're reading music, you're developing a whole new language. And then what happens then? Then you're motivated. So you actually go home and you want to practice because practicing isn't just something that you have to do to mark it off, but it's part of the enjoy it's part of the reward structure you want to practice for the sake of practicing because you want to get better and so that means you invest more in your practicing that means you make choices that support your practicing which means saying no to other distractions in your life for example a bad relationship or you know the video games in the living room if that's where your piano is or your friends who always want to go out who are cutting into your practice time. So you have to make choices around your lifestyle as well that support your getting better and better and better at the piano, right? So then you can see where this goes. That's, that's the path towards mastery. And I use that same premise to master one's diet. So there are a number of different things at play. There's one, the diet itself, your food choices, right? Like your food choices are important because what you're eating has a by and large is going to dictate how you feel and it is the instrument so to speak right like it's the thing that you're that you're handling but it's not just the food the food is important it's really about just like the piano player everything else that's going on in your life so one your mindset are you willing to invest in mistakes and treat your diet as a long-term process towards mastery or like most people, like what the media pushes at us, or are you going to treat your diet like a race to the finish line and sacrifice learning to get some desired result, typically, which is like to lose as much weight as quickly as possible, right? So what's your mindset? Are you going to treat this as something that you want, like a skill that you want to develop so that you can really understand all the factors at play? Or do you want to just try to lose as much weight as quickly as possible and get to the finish line? Everybody or 99% of people choose the latter because unfortunately, that's what's pushed on us. And, from, appar and apparently, it's, it sounds easier, maybe. It sounds easy because, oh man, wouldn't it be great if you just lose 20 pounds in like two months and then, wow, fantastic. But what people don't ever think about is what happens after they lose those 20 pounds? Like even if they were to somehow get that, what have they learned in order to cultivate that sort of lifestyle? So this is what I'm talking about. If you want to go on a diet and lose 20 pounds as quickly as possible, that means you're going to make so many sacrifices in the short term that are going to come back and bite you in the ass in the long term. One, in order to lose that much weight, you're going to starve yourself. You're going to restrict yourself. People on diets inhabit an absolutist mentality where they have to be perfect, 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 perfect. And if, they, if they're not perfect, then they can't do it. And if they can't do it, then they might as well just quit altogether. Or when they can't meet that, that expectation of perfection, what happens then? Well, they'll go off and they'll have like these weekend long binge episodes, right? So this standard of perfection just becomes an impossible measure and it ultimately doesn't serve. So so there's a number of things, right? Like if you're trying to restrict yourself, even if you were to successfully do that for months on end, well, there's going to be a relapse. You're going to have a relapse. Your body simply can't handle that amount of stress. And it's also going to slow down your metabolic system so much so that it's going to come to a screeching halt and your body's going to demand that you start to make up some of the difference on the back end. So you might lose those 20 pounds, but then your body will literally counter respond to that so that because it because of the what you've what you've done 
to your metabolism. Not wise. But from the mindset perspective, it's about treating this thing as a long-term perspective, as, as a long-term process versus this short-term diet, diet, diet. Got to lose as much weight as quickly as possible, which people don't want to think about because people want the quick fix solution, right? People want to sign up for the $100 program that gets them 20 pounds in two months and then they're done with it. But they're never done with it. And that's why people go on this seesaw back and forth, back and forth. They might lose some weight and then they gain it back. They might lose some weight and then they gain it back. That's why dieting and weight loss is such a hot topic and everybody's always talking about it because they don't approach it the right way. If people approached it the right way and they were on their path towards mastering this thing, like a skill that they were developing, then it wouldn't be such a like a buzz, like unattainable thing, which everybody makes it seem like it is. So that's one. So it's the mindset. So the, there's the food. Let's go back to the piano player. The food, your food choices are important. There's your mindset. There's your habits, you know, building out habits that support you that have that do and don't have anything to do with your food options so like the main thing that i teach my clients is like is planning and preparing and strategizing most people never think about if they're going to adopt a new diet then they don't think about how they're actually going to make it happen for themselves so it's about the process of learning and mastering a new skill yes that's quite a different place to come from in this world of instant gratification and <laughs> quick fix solutions, as you said. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I work with a lot of high performers who are extremely busy, extremely busy, very in-demand individuals. And the first thing, the first thing that I ask, <laughs> once we talk about what their diet is, and I can talk to you about that as well, but once we talk about like what they're going to do, what the general concept is, what the general themes are, the first thing I ask is, okay, so how are we going to make that happen? Like, what's going to, what are you going to do for breakfast? And how are we going to get that? Does that mean that you have to prepare it the night before? Does that mean you're going to prepare it the morning of? Does that mean that you need your assistant to get it for you? Does that mean that you're going to order from this, from this delivery service? Like, literally, let's spell it out. Because if we leave these things to the moment themselves, then we're going to be reactively making decisions more often than not. And if you're reactively making a decision, especially when you're, when this is something that is like, when this is a challenge for you already to make healthy food choices, and you're super busy, like we all are, and there's so much coming at us, you're going to be led to make the wrong decision, like more often than not, or it's a crapshoot, it's unpredictable. So I want to take, I want to make this as predictable as possible. Let's plan out exactly what your week looks like, as if I was your assistant, and we were scheduling it on your Google calendar. Like, okay, you're going to do this, that, you're going to do this for that meal. If you're traveling on this day, let's make sure you're bringing these snacks with you. Where are you going to be going to your client dinner? Great. I'll look at the restaurant menu with you. Let's check it out. Like literally that sort of that level of attention, because what it forces people to do is to start forward thinking and planning ahead of time and making proactive decisions versus reactive decisions, which lead them, like we said before, down unhealthy paths. And that sort of strategizing at first seems like a lot of work. And it is. It requires effort. But, you know, if you wanted to learn how to play the piano, it would require <laughs> a lot of effort. And that's not a bad thing. What really pisses me off is like part of this dieting mentality as well is all the all the marketing is like, it's so easy. You don't even have to do anything. You just buy this thing. And like it's like, no, it takes some effort. That doesn't mean you have to hate it. It doesn't mean that you have to go kill yourself at the gym for hours. I never... <laughs> Exercise is great, but you don't need to exercise to lose weight and you definitely don't need to exercise 
as most people would think they do in order to be quote unquote healthy. You just don't, it confuses what your ultimate goals are. If your ultimate goal is to lose a lot of weight as quickly as possible, sure, you should probably be exercising a hell of a lot because you'll, you know, you'll, you'll lose water weight and blah, 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 blah. But of course, as what we talked about before, you'll end up gaining it on the back end. Now, if your goal is to master your diet, exercise so long as it makes you feel good, so long as it connects you with this whole process, but not to the point of burnout. Because if you burn yourself out, then you're going to start challenging your metabolism in a way that's going to lead you to, to crave unhealthy things. So we want to scale it back and say, no, our goal is not to lose as much weight as quickly as possible. Our goal is to master making healthy choices for yourself. Meal after meal after meal, day after day after day. And this applies to food. This applies to anything. This is why I also work with entrepreneurs about either building their businesses or designing lifestyles for themselves that make building their businesses possible or starting huge new projects possible. It's just about focusing on your choices, focusing on the end goal and then reverse engineering how we're going to get from here to there. And it's not about, it's not about forcing outcomes. It's about taking it day by day by day, making iterations along the way, feeling okay, making mistakes, just like that piano player, right? Just like that piano player messing up. They're going to get better only if they only if they can accept the fact that they're not going to be perfect on day one, right? Or day two, or day three, or day th a thousand, right? Nobody's ever going to be perfect. So you, you can either own those moments and try to learn from them, or you can try to ignore them. And if you try to ignore them, then if you're on a diet, that means that you're going to ditch the diet and you're going to go back to your old way because you can't maintain that level of perfection. But if you invite making mistakes, if you invite your imperfection, then you're going to lead a fulfilled life and you're ultimately going to get where you want to go or close to it because that's the path towards mastery, investing over and over and over and over and over again in your mistakes and improving them. Absolutely. It's a very different place to come from and it has to do with being present, with being mindful of your choices and also about, as you said, having a clear goal, a clear end goal, a powerful vision that can guide you on your way and then creating this personal strategy that will help you step by step by step to achieve that goal. So it's about discipline. I'm assuming that is why you you made that analogy with your business clients i did yeah yeah i did yes okay well daniel it seems like a very intimate relationship develops between you and your client because they're discussing their weekly rhythms their habits their agendas their <laughs> the menu in the restaurant so <laughs> yeah it sounds like a very intimate relationship is this difficult to to build with the client <laughs> It is not, in fact, because part of the process of people, I typically only work with people who come from referrals. So at this point, people know what I'm about and they know that if they're working with me, that it's going to be an intimate experience. <laughs> okay. So they know what to expect. <laughs> they know what to expect, but let's pretend that they didn't. I'm 100% me all the time. So I think this is important for any coach or anybody who works one, like with a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting clients, it's important to meet the client where they're at and to not force any sort of dogma on them and for, for you to be completely and utterly yourself. I am, as you can probably tell, I'm a high energy guy. I talk a lot. I focus on rhythm and 
energetic connections. So I might speak a lot and some of the stuff that I say is redundant or I might stumble over myself or whatever, but that's my tactic. I connect energetically with people and I get them to feel their sense of possibility, literally feel it inside of them. And I have the only way that I personally can do that. My, my superpower is to be in communication with them, heavy, intense in communication with them. And that's because that plays to my, my strengths. It opens them up. But most importantly, as far as overcoming addictions or unhealthy habits or any, any of what we're talking about, it's crucial to know if you're on the other end that you have somebody there for you who's not going to let you fail, essentially, who's not going to let you fail. That's a game changer. And it's the disruption to your unhealthy patterns. So let me explain. When you are like when you have a binge episode, it's incredibly private. It's incredibly vulnerable. And it's 100 percent isolated. Nobody goes on a binging episode in front of other people ever. I mean, hell, maybe that's maybe I, I won't speak in absolutes, but, but <laughs> you, yeah. I've, never, I've never done it, and I don't know anybody who does that where they just binge, binge, binge in front of other people. It's always this private, very uncomfortable, very vulnerable experience, and the outside world doesn't know about it, and nobody's going to know about it. But it's this thing that you do, and it's this intense relationship with food that you have with yourself. So. My being there, my being utterly present for them, that disruption is so different from everything that they've had, every experience they've had with food or their unhealthy habits in the past, that that alone changes the structure. It changes their relationship with this entire process at large. That's huge. That's like, that's it. We don't even have to be talking about food, but my being there, that changes it. Secondly, because this is so vulnerable, this is such a vulnerable topic for people because it's their weight, it's feeling out of control, it's like not knowing if it is or isn't an addiction. Like a lot of people suffer from, I'm gonna call it food addiction, but nobody calls it that because addiction isn't a very scary word and food is pushed on you from every angle, right? And it's, it's ubiquitous, it's utterly available to you, unlike drugs, which, are more like are categorically easier to identify as an addiction because it means that you have to really go out of your way to find it and it's you know the the consequences of them of your drug addiction are more acute so if you're addicted to a certain drug you're going to like probably harm yourself and will have to get help within a shorter period of time food addiction this is something that we can go on for a lifetime and it doesn't manifest in as many obvious ways because it's not just about weight gain for some people they'll go on binge eating episodes and then they'll starve themselves for days on end so on the outside it doesn't look like they're all that unhealthy but on the inside they're suffering intensely and again this is such a personal experience that most people never talk about it and most people don't have the language to talk about it because they don't know they don't think of it as an addiction and nobody's ever presented it that way right and so you can call it an addiction you can call it feeling out of control the language that most of my clients especially like business people that they'll come to me and they'll start by saying i feel out of control and it's not like ruining my life but it's really making a negative impact on it. And I don't know what to do. I've tried so many diets, none of them work. I don't even know if dieting is like what I'm like, what is the answer? I just feel out of control. And I don't know what to do. And that's where we start. And that's a, that alone, Kaylin, that is such a vulnerable thing to say to somebody. So if you 
So I, I've been that, there. I've been there. It's a very familiar feeling. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And so my job is to make you feel comfortable being yourself. That's my job. Make you feel comfortable being yourself, being vulnerable, being transparent about what's going on. And then from there, we have all the raw materials that we need to take control of this thing. Have you recently went through a painful separation or divorce? Don't forget that I've made a commitment to serve 100 guys that are currently recovering from a painful breakup. Until September 1st, you have a rare opportunity to experience a free two-hour powerful coaching session with me. All you have to do is send me an email at hello at mensjourneytoday.com and we will schedule a call. Again, that's hello at mensjourneytoday.com. Remember, you don't have to do this journey alone. But I can imagine it's a difficult mission because, as I said, I've been there in your client's place and, well, actually, you experienced this as well. And I've been there and looking back, I think I was associating that problem with shame or guilt sometimes. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really difficult to open up about it. Or at least that was my experience. I understand you, brother. I, I relate. <laughs> I relate. And I don't want to put you on the spot here. But if you do want to talk about it, either on or off air, you know where to find me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I could share something about that. So <laughs> I had this binge eating episodes on weekends. And Mm -hmm. I would eat chocolate. I would buy maybe some fruit with it, bananas or strawberries or something like that. And I would eat an entire box of chocolate at 11 p.m., something like that, when usually everyone in the house is already asleep, as you said. So Mm -hmm. usually no one's there. Yeah. And it was a lot later when I realized that actually I'm eating when I'm sad or maybe when I feel lonely or when I was extremely tired sometimes or all Mm -hmm. these different things that now I can associate with that issue, but I simply couldn't see it at that point. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. (sighs) It's not easy, man. It's not easy. And, and, And in this world that we live in, everybody talks about feeling busy, stressed, tired, even though we're more connected, a lot of us feel lonelier than ever, right? So all the things that you just mentioned, those are like your triggers. Those are mine too. (laughs) And if you're working, whether you're working on things that you care about or you don't care about when it's even harder and you're more stressed out, you're stressed because this level of stimulation that is coming at us from all angles all the time, it's just, (laughs) it's setting us up for moments of weakness and it stresses us out and it makes us overtired and we try to cope in different ways. And a lot of us, because food is so readily available, will use food. And that's why this is this is a global issue and it's only becoming more and more prevalent as numbers, obesity numbers would dictate, etc. So this is a huge issue. And the problem is that nobody's talking about it from this angle where we're abusing food, we're using food as an outlet, as a drug, and we're not trying to address that. We're not trying to teach people how to actually address that. We're just saying, okay, great, you're fat, good, go diet, go diet, go diet, and then we push or that stop on. stop eating. So we, <laughs> right, so we push, we push the really short-term solution that actually is no solution and only adds to the sense of hopelessness because it's, it's, it just doesn't work. So it only adds to that excruciation, which adds more stress, adds more feeling hopeless and then puts people down those 
those sabotaging loops of, I don't know how to get out of this, but I'm going to eat because it makes me feel better. And then they wake up in the morning and they go, oh my God, I did it again. And then they try to diet. It doesn't work. They relapse. They eat more. They eat more. And they repeat, repeat, repeat. So nobody's talking about it from this angle. We're not trying to educate people about this from a learning perspective, right? And that's that's my mission here is to educate as to educate people to make an impact at least on a million lives by talking about this, right? It, nothing that I say is revolutionary. I know it's just it's the way that I approach it, and it's the full picture. It's the full person. It's the full picture. Yeah, it would have made a ton of difference in my life a few years ago if I would have heard someone say this. And as you say, very few people talk about it openly. And I think I was on a journey for almost three years until I started understanding and relating things and until they became coherent in my mind. Yeah, so. Well, now I'm proud of you. How do you feel where you're at today? Do you feel like this is like you've made a lot of progress? I'm happy with my progress. Brother, brother, there's no shame in saying that. Like I, I've been eating a specific way for 10 years now. I coach people every day on making their, on, on their food choices. And even I will have my moments once every other week or so I will have a binge eating episode. I just do. And all the things I teach my clients, I'll still make those mistakes. Like I just do because, because like I said before, there's so much coming at us and I'm working really hard on things that I care about. And this thing is deeply ingrained in me. I mean, this is something I took me with me since I was a little boy. And that takes years and years and years and years and years of undoing. And I don't think that you can ever actually fully undo it. And that's also what I teach my clients. If they come to me and I say, look, you might live with this for the rest of your life. And that's okay. That's not something to feel hopeless about. That's something to feel inspired about because it's so amazing when you see when you see yourself overcoming instances, challenges that would have brought you down in the past. So it's about building up this holistic strategy that keeps you balanced, keeps you anchored, and serves you in the long term. It's about really learning what your relationship with food is so that you can understand, identify your triggers, and either address them head on or work around them. It's about eating really healthily so that you're fulfilling your body, actually fulfilling your body, not starving it of essential nutrients that do keep you full and, and cut against cravings. And then it's about learning how to, most importantly, my man, it's learning how to bounce back. So it's when you make those mistakes or you have those binge moments or you, whatever you want to call them, it's about bouncing back immediately, cultivating the confidence that you know how to do this and one little mistake does not define you. So even whatever happened on Friday night, you wake up on Saturday morning, you say, all right, that happened. No big deal. I'm starting out on the right foot today. I'm not going to restrict myself. I'm not going to starve myself. I'm not going to go down those other unhealthy extreme routes. I'm just going to pick right back up where I left off. I'm going to bounce back. And I'm going to bounce back right now. Instead of going on this two-day you know, loop of self-deprecation and self-judgment and hatred and trying to like sweat it all out at the gym and this and that. No, 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 no. It's knowing that you have the confidence to bounce right back and that you don't have to do anything other than be yourself and that that is mastery. That is mastery. It's not that we're not going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Even, you know, the, even the Jimi Hendrix made mistakes, the best of the best of <laughs> sure. the best. They all make mistakes. But Jimi Hendrix didn't start crying about the mistake and then throw the guitar down and say, I can't do it, right? No, he just bounced right back. He just bounced right back. He would say, all right, cut that take. I gotta, I'm got i going to do it again, right? Cut that take. I'm going to do it again. And that's the same principle. 
It's the same principle. So that's really what success looks like to me as far as all this is concerned. And when my clients have those moments and then they say, you know what? That's fine. I started off the day well. I got a good breakfast in me. I'm going to go to the gym later. Not because I, I feel like I need to pay for something, but because I had already set that up. I know I'm going to get a healthy lunch. I've already made plans for dinner with my with my husband and we're going to go to this restaurant. I'm going to get this meal. And it's like they're just going right back where we right back into the into the framework. So to me, that's what success looks like. Absolutely. It's really powerful. And I want to take this opportunity because you shared a lot of your intimate experience with food and and I did it as well. This is to encourage people, everyone listening. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a very natural process. And we encourage you to reach out and yeah, ask for help, ask for someone to accompany you in this process. You don't have to do this journey alone. No, you don't. And what people often don't understand when they feel like they're suffering from something or they're embarrassed, they think that they need to shell it up and hide. But what they don't think about is when they reach out to somebody and they break down that barrier, what that does is that it empowers the other person to also share about something that they're struggling with. Because here's the deal. We're all struggling with something. We all have these areas of our life that we're working on. And the unfortunate thing is that we all feel like we need to pr protect our egos and not talk about it. But by talking about it, what you're doing is empowering somebody else to talk about their experience. And for somebody else, it might not be about food, but it's about this other thing that you had no idea was plaguing them, right? And now all of a sudden, there's this dialogue of empowerment and of support versus two individuals who care about and love each other who aren't talking about their own suffering. And then like nothing gets done, right? Not, nothing can be, right? So that's what, so externalizing, externalizing, being comfortable of your own experience, good, bad, whatever, no judgment. This is just something that's going on. I need your help. Or I just need to talk about it, right? I just need to talk about it. What you don't think about is that that will empower the other person too. And that is such, that's the root of my, of my profession, of my work, right? When somebody comes to me and they say, I just, I'm just going to talk about this with you. It's like that. Okay, great. That's now, and now we have something here. You don't have to keep it in any longer. Keeping it in doesn't address it. So I want to say just to, to anybody who's listening, I really try to respond to as many folks who write in as, as possible. So if you want to just share your story with me, you have every right. I would love to hear about what's going on. And I will also do whatever I can to help. So you, you always have free access to me. If you write to me at Daniel. D-A-N-I-E-L at evolutioneat.com, E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-E-A-T.com, Daniel at evolutioneat.com. I would love to hear from you and I would love to, to serve in every, any way that I can. Thank you for sharing that with the audience, Daniel. And as we are reaching the final part of the show, I want to ask you a few more questions, personal questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom that will help them on their journey. So are you ready for the fire round? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Here's the first question. If you were to recommend one book that every man must read, what would it be and why? Okay. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, especially for men, because 
men think that they're strong. Men tend to think that they don't need this sort of stuff. And here's here's the central premise from The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. You are not your thoughts. You, I'm going to say that again, are not your thoughts. We carry all these thoughts with us every day, right? And we identify so strongly with them and we believe so, so strongly in them that that is the way that the world is and that life is. No, you are not your thoughts. Instead, you are the witness behind your thoughts. So what this book let me actually not just intellectually like kind of understand, but experience for the first time was that detachment. If I'm not my thoughts, then that means that they don't define me, which means thoughts are just like everything else in life. They come, they go, they flow right through. And I think why we suffer is because we create all these stories and we live by these stories that we tell ourselves, which are translated through our thoughts, right? So if you can detach from your thoughts and separate from that and recognize that you're not them, you're actually you, whatever it is, this essence that is you, Kalen, is the thing, the witness behind those thoughts, then all of a sudden you can let those things go. The things that don't serve you, you can let them go. You don't have to focus on them. And it's really that simple of a choice. I mean, of course, it gets there are moments when that's really challenging. And I'm not pretending that I, I'm some Zen Buddhist on top of a mountain, but <laughs> it is a choice. It is a choice. And I always can come back to that and say, wait. What's going on here? And I can recognize myself just being sucked down these this storytelling that only I hear and I'm creating and it's all about my own thoughts. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You're not your thoughts. You're the witness behind your thoughts. I recommend that every human being on the planet, especially men who you know frown upon self who tend to frown more upon self-development self-improvement than women do yeah and also men tend to get stuck in their heads more often than women exactly they don't feel like they they feel like it's manly to bottle it up not share it right so that's a powerful tool that you can that you don't need to share anything with here's that guys this is a powerful tool that you can use for yourself it has nothing to do, to do with sharing with others <laughs> but it's a tool that you can take with you for me it's like a practiced meditation i meditate and this book put language to me that made my med that helped me carry my meditation practice into the rest of real life like all areas of life where i'm not meditating so that's that's powerful that book is very powerful <laughs> okay the next question is where do we draw the line between being a macho jerk and a so-called nice guy? Where do you draw the line between being a macho jerk and being a so-called nice guy? I don't think it has to be either or. I think that so long as you speak your true intentions and you live a life where you're following through with your intentions, then that solves the problem. Because if you're following your intentions and you're not, let's just, let me be clear. You're not some sort of like psychopath. Like, but if you're just living a life, you're following your intentions, then you're going to attract people that support your journey. And you're going to repel people who don't support your journey and your mission. Right. And there's no ego involved in that case. You're just doing what is in your missions. What's, what's in the service of your mission. And it's good to be strongly opinionated towards that thing. But that's not at the expense of anybody else. I think that it's important to talk boldly about the things that you care about. And so long as you're keeping your ego out of it, you're not, dis you're not 
talking about other people, but you're talking about a mission at hand, something that is bigger than individuals, then you can't be too nice or too mean. All you're doing is talking your truth. And if you talk your truth, then you don't have to worry about what other people think about you. Because really, if I, that's what you would be doing if you were trying to be a macho jerk. Nobody just walks around as a macho jerk. They're putting on that affectation, right? Or if they're being really nice, it's because they think that that's the only way that people will respond to them or will follow their mission, right? So neither. You don't need either of those. Just speak your truth and you will end up repelling a few people, but that's okay. You don't, you're not actively offending them and that's not your intention either. They're just not going to be in line with, with your views and that's okay. Still speak boldly about your views, but it's not about egos. It's not about individuals. It's about something bigger than all that. I like it. <laughs> okay. Daniel, may I ask you to share a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you, or maybe he didn't know about being a man in today's world? I'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life. One that you would be sure to share with the future generation. Yes. I wished my father told me that life doesn't happen to you. You happen to life. My father operated under this principle of like making choices that may or may not be in his or the family's best interest and then kind of shrugging his shoulders and saying, well, that's just life. Now we have to deal with it, right? Like passively letting things happen rather than proactively making things happen. You can create your world. The world doesn't have to define you. You can create your world. Life just doesn't happen to you. You can happen to it. And that's something that I've learned. I'm not going to say the hard way, but we all suffer. I've had that. That was my journey, learning how to really access my power and feel confident in my conviction, start making things happen for myself. I wish he had told me that. And I wish for himself that he was told that by his father, because obviously he wasn't. That's a powerful distinction. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Before we say goodbye, share with us the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? Ha. Sure. So people can find me at evolutioneat.com. I'm sure that the link will be in the show notes or whatnot, but the words evolutionandeat.com. You have my email address, daniel at evolutioneat.com. You can reach out to me there. On evolutioneat.com, you'll find a few things. You'll find a bunch of free resources. I blog weekly and I write all about what we were talking about in the first half of this conversation, really the path towards mastering your diet and what that means from a whole person, a multidimensional perspective. So habits, mindset, the diet itself, sure, strategy. And as you'll read it, you'll learn that this does apply to food, but it doesn't necessarily apply to food. So it can meet you with wherever you're at. So I write weekly. I have a free three-hour online course. It's a seven-lesson course that you can download immediately the second you go on the landing page, which goes in real detail all the things that we were talking about. And, and if this is something that you're struggling with, I really encourage you to commit the next week to watching the course and, and then reaching out to me so that we can have some dialogue and I can help specifically. But I spent a lot of time working on that course. I'm very proud of it. And it does a great job distilling all the major principles that I teach my clients over the course of 
months, if not years. So that's a great way to start. And then I also have another company called Rich 20 something I'm a partner at where we empower millennials to build businesses that they love in short. So you can check out the blog. We also have a bunch of YouTube videos and podcasts. It's called rich20something.com. Man, what excites me? I just joined 4PC, which is a which is a group of high power, high impact coaches. And I'm really excited about that because I want to start taking my message, my mission out into the world in a bigger way. And, and online, yes, but also literally in person. What really excites me is when I get to work with people. And so I want to start doing workshops and weekend intensives and more speaking engagements and things of that nature and having the support and the encouragement of all these coaches who have been doing whatever, you know, have been following their own journeys for years and years and years will just be of such benefit to me. I'll learn so much from being in their community and also it will force, it forces me to, to level up my game, right? And so to start thinking bigger about what I can accomplish, what I want to accomplish. So that, that really excites me. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. And thank you again for joining us today, Daniel. This has been a great episode and I hope to see you again on the Men's Journey Today podcast in the future. Thank you so much. <laughs> Guys, till next time. Take care. Take care.